Welcome back to another episode of Art Matters, the podcast for artists. My guest today is Andrew Ohanasian. Andrew's work spans large-scale site-specific installations, small multiples, and additions with each series channeling an alternate version of himself. Uh, sometimes a lawyer, casino operator, real estate agent, the list goes on. The ideas he chooses to investigate, criticize, and subsume are always topical to the economy and his personal navigation of life, often digging deeply into scars, either visible or not. In Andrew's words, pushing where it hurts. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Andrew Ohanasian. Um, so I just want to preempt this whole conversation by saying you're obviously talking to a painter on a predominantly painter's podcast. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to obviously open that up because all I want is creative people. And what I want listeners to recognize is how many different ways there are to proceed down a creative career. Yeah. Basically. Um, but I do know that there are going to be many, uh, 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 you know, splits in the road for the two of us where I went left and you went right. Hmm. And I, what I'd like to know, just purely based on our mediums of choice, but what I'd like to start with, if it's okay with you, is that period after school. And I know it's probably a while back, but I feel like for so many artists, that's like a dead zone. No matter what it is you have decided you want to do or how serious you are about doing it. And I'm just wondering if you could share... Just a couple minutes of what you, where your head was at, how certain you were about the future that you were, you were about to take on, um, uh, how uncertain, you know, your lack of confidence, your confidence, mm -hmm. and just that, yeah, any memories mm. of that period directly after undergrad, correct? That undergrad, was where yeah. Cal Arts? Uh, no, that's uh, UC Berkeley. That's right. Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe I should... Just talk a little bit about my path in Berkeley, which was... And that's fine, too, of course. Um, I... Uh, at, at that point, I just really felt... Um, I was accepted like a college back East Tufts, and um, I just was a really not feeling a, a small private school, and I got accepted to Berkeley, and it just seemed like a huge public school um yeah and i jumped at the chance and so went there kind of following what i was good at in high school um mm. which was english um like writing and and i uh sort of imagined that without any idea like what you would do with that degree but okay. then it kind of lost sort of the charm for me and i went to drama and loved it um, but it ended up, I don't know. I felt like it was so all about, uh, the, the person like the, you know, that it was like, this is me and this is who I am. And, and yeah, I don't know if you know any drama people, but they are very dramatic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love it, but I also kind of wanted to have something where, uh, I could sort of point to something that wasn't me and, talk about it with whoever the audience is that's um, interesting yeah like there's this whole thing with painting about stand i don't know if this falls in line but standing in front of your painting or behind your painting yeah. someone said that to me at one point and i've thought about it since but whatever whichever wherever you stand there is that separation maybe yeah between you know you do get to be here and whatever you have created it's speaks for you or you speak for it, but it is over there. So totally. You, you know, and I understand yeah. that with, I wonder if actors have that same. Oh, I think drama. definitely like, yeah. you know, at, at some point I, you know, you do enough background research or character background mm -hmm. and it's that point that I love. And I, I feel like people talk about this a lot, uh, mm -hmm. but where you stop telling the piece what to do and it starts telling you what to do for sure. And it feel it's, it's sort of, cause I hate the, uh, part where I'm telling it what to do and I have to think of these ideas and I have the struggle of like, I'm such an idiot. Like, why would I do that? Like, no, that's a dumb idea. Uh, and that's in the sort of conception phase. But then once you're down the garden path, that is why I love launching myself into these like ridiculously ambitious pieces because you're so far in it. 
it's you're just working for it at that point. So, but uh, now I have to ask, does this feed into your whole, I did a little research, like I told you, your hatred of a good idea? Like, is that your, uh, there was some Um, line that you had about, you know, how you you don't really get, uh, you don't really like that clever initial idea you know i think i know which uh which article you're talking about and i feel like you were just poking a little bit with that yeah i I don't know you know i feel like um that was there are a lot of quotes in that article that i'm Mm -hmm. i kind of uh are nuanced um (laughs) but um i think that i mean just listening to that being repeated, I'm like, you don't hate a good idea. Like a good, you know, I think Sometimes that I have, you do how you just, well, no, I mean, I mean me, like, you know, yeah. I love a good idea, but I, I do love a bad idea with an, uh, a really deep follow through, like mm. an excellent execution of uh, like a, a beautiful failure, you know, in a way where, For where sure. you kind of like the commitment is there and it just is so relatable of um, watching somebody kind of pursue, go down the spiral of like, you know, just like there are so many points you could have turned back, but you did not. And um, that's so interesting. Something beautiful a lot of times that you find when you go so far down. And I think I can't remember who said this to me, but it was like when you find yourself in a giant hole mm. uh, that you've dug, use the dirt. <laughs> And, and make something with that. And it kind of goes along with this whole like hug the cactus mentality that I, I just uh, push where it hurts sort of thing. Like, yeah. you know, how do you find what's wrong? Push where it hurts. And, but I, I want to get back to it oh, because yeah. I think that, and again, forgive me ahead of time, a lot of the analogies or metaphors I'll use are going to be painting. But um, there have been a lot of conversations about uh, a painter's practice, how there's a certain percentage of it that's labor, a certain percentage of it that's joy, and a certain, you know, and everyone feels differently about different parts of the process. So I even, the reason why I brought up that idea thing is, A, I thought it was kind of like a funny, snarky thing that, um, uh, Hmm. you know, sounded, you know, I wanted to ask you about it, but it also seemed to make a bit of sense, and then in more sense with what you said just a few minutes ago, is that, no matter how good the idea is, your what you like doing is going down. Like the the real commitment, where some could say that's the labor. You know, some right. could say, "Oh yeah, yeah, the little drawing I did in my book, that's the joy. The painting that follows, that's you know what I can sell, and and I like making it look good. But you know, often that could be the labor. Um, and I'm just wondering if. If that would be a yeah. good or something you could relate to, that the well, idea so, yeah, good I mean, or I bad think, is. Uh, yeah. The thing with a good idea, too, is it's a little precious, like, in, in my mind. I, I mean, I'm not, I mm-hmm. feel like I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes who, who has a good idea and wants to pursue it. But I feel like in my world, like, yeah, the kiss of death is, like, pretty good. <laughs> you know, because then I don't want to fuck with it and I don't want to fuck it up. And, you know, it's like, whereas something that sounds like a terrible idea well you can do anything you want with that it frees you up to make these drastic pivots and uh get more reward if you know if if you end up in the right place i think that's cool too and i think it i've talked to a lot of young artists and even my peers and so on who who say uh that they're waiting for a good idea and I think that that can be kind of crippling uh, yes. too versus grabbing a mediocre idea or like you said, a bad idea and moving forward with it is, you know, I think that even myself, I've been stuck waiting for a good idea before. And yeah. it's not, um, I don't necessarily think it is. I call that the magic moment. Um, and it's like every project I've ever had, everything I've ever, ever done, it always has this sort of a ritualistic process of me being like, oh, I'm just going to be lazy and like, not lazy, but like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to wait for like the momentum. It usually happens after something's been greenlit. So there's a show sort of coming up or, or, you know, a presentation or something. And I'm like, Oh, it'll get done. I mean, it has always gotten done in the past, right? Like I'll just, mm-hmm. it, at some point I'll start. 
And then I'm waiting and I'm like, well, I know I'm getting a little nervous, but you know, I'll start eventually, right? And then at some point I hit the kind of dread of like, oh my God, I, I've lost it. It's, it's not going to happen. And now I, the people are coming. I have this presentation, you know, pitch or something. And it's like, this is going to be either embarrassing or just put something together, like grab anything and put, put something together to fake it like you know what you're doing. And then and just to separate it quick, yeah. are you, is it the deadline that creates this for you or is it, do you lose faith in the idea or is it both? But do you, do you feel like one or the other activates those feelings um, of panic? Uh, I, the, no, I never really lose faith in the idea, okay. but so just feel like, like yeah. I'm unable to connect with it. Like that I am thinking myself around the idea or out of it or, or something. And, and, uh, and then that dread and that panic hits. And I just like, I truly, every, every piece I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe I've lost my touch or everything or like, you know, anything that I found like kind of interesting about my work, it's just gone and I don't have it anymore. But like, I just have to fake it to get through this one thing. And then starting that, it hits me like a ton of bricks every time. Oh, right. That's it. Mm. That's the moment. And because you start something, you start a bad idea, grabbing the phone cord, like gluing something together. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. That's the, that's the moment that happens every time, but I never remember. Literally every time when you're, Uh, when you think of the majority of your works, you think that there's always that panic that leads to this magic moment for you. Um, Yes. I mean, I would say that I know it because there's never been a piece that I haven't, look, it's all part of the process. I've come to terms with it. It's okay. But there's never been a piece where at the end, I haven't been like, you know, if I didn't just like sit on my ass for two weeks waiting for this moment to happen and actually did something, I could have been done with that extra credit thing that I wanted to do. Okay, yeah. but let me now I have to ask this. We're, yeah. we're eventually going to get back to the beginning, but now nah, I got to follow this. Is um I think there are a lot of artists out there with with studio practices that are um quote unquote unhealthy. Now I'm not judging over here. I've got my own quirks, but when I think about um how some artists really uh, uh like there are multiple ways maybe to get to the finish line and um i think quite a few years ago i did just finally reject the idea that uh, about the the uh given amount of suffering that has to happen for a painting to turn out good and i i just Hmm. wonder your stance on it because as um I mean, I can see how that would function, you know, as an outsider hearing your explanation of, you know, how these events line up. But I also wonder for you and for your uh, health and your uh, desired longevity as an artist, do you ever think that that um, that course of Hmm. events might be something that you want to look at in the future, say, when, you know, you need more emotional uh, currency in the bank where you can't allow yourself to panic. I mean, I feel that maybe I'm selling it short in the way that it, it is not my first rodeo with this asshole myself mm-hmm. regarding these like issues. Yeah. And um, I feel that there, you know, I, I've been along the way as the projects got bigger um, and, and more ambitious. And uh, there was, there's only one project that, did not get finished in time and something um, that's a different failure, which is is another story, but um, you know, at some point I feel like I can't look at like a project, like, like the house party where, you know, it's an entire house and uh, 
like every good procrastinator knows, you you do sort of build in that time yeah. and account for it. And so yeah. wh- when I say panic, I mean, it is part of the process. And sure. it's like that, you know, that panic um, in a way kind of puts a good idea in a bad place, mm-hmm. which is almost equal, you know, if, if let's, you know, because then like, let's, if you, ha- what's the Leonard Bernstein, it's creativity is uh, genius and not enough time. Like I, I, I don't know the quote, I think but I've that, heard yeah. something like that before. But it is like, um, I find that some of my best decisions are made in impossible places, like mm. that where you're like, okay, that's not going to work. All of your dreams, all of everything that you thought this was going to be, it's no longer going to happen. You need to face the facts and come up with something. Now let's everything's on the table, and you make calls that you wouldn't have otherwise made but in my experience they end up being a lot better uh or or being they add a certain dynamic authenticity mm. <laughs> i don't know yeah. no i listen i hear you desperation I, maybe they had a desperation that's it yeah i think it's just and i'm not even pushing against this because i oh. I'm, I'm doubting you or something i just think it's worth First of all, you already explained, um, I think you used the word ad, the adjective impossible uh, earlier, either on mic or off mic. But so I do know that this, that space is, it, it does seem valuable to you and like part of your, uh, part of it, like a pretty founda- uh, foundational part of it. But when I hear words like desperation and procrastination and these kinds of, these things, I I know from my own experience, how they do add to the work and like getting a show done right under the gun and like seeing some of the moves I've made. And like, I literally had to leave dinner the night before a show open to go mop up a painting that was dripping down on itself <laughs> at the gallery. Like it was, you know, That's great. and I know that space and I know how invigorating it is. And I think it even for me, um, underlines the success of it you know because Mm. not only did you make it but you made it just in time so it's like this extra special thing but what i've what i'm coming around to is that i i believe that those ideas are attainable and those paintings will be done potentially even better but at least for right now of the same quality and for longer if i start to try to um uh, gear down a little bit and, and not, hmm. uh, not just prepare for not a lot. I'm still, I still procrastinate, but I try right. not to take it to a desperate state because, you know, I'm, I'm in my late thirties now. And I think about myself in my forties and fifties. And I think about myself, maybe a family or, or more and more responsibilities. I'm already overwhelmed as it is. And I wonder like, fuck, can I continue to allow desperation to be a fuel for me if I want to really, you know, be a 90-year-old Larry Poons type who's still just going and going and going? Mm. Like, I don't know. I just, and maybe I meet older artists who just seem to have an ease about them that I can't imagine exists in a space where you're like, ah, you know, all the time, but that's, that's the yeah. only reason I'm pushing on it. Cause I think it's interesting no, to, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I guess that the way that I have dealt with that is, um, uh, left it the fuck alone in a way, like the, for sure. the process, yeah. it, because this, the, 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 the pattern that I'm describing, uh, is not, uh, only in art in my art practice. It is my entire life. Um, and I feel like my challenge, the only place that it kind of works is my practice. Um, and (laughs) I feel like the, and I have gone through a lot of changes and the, the changes to minimize that stress and panic and desperation in my day to day life have an amazing effect on my practice. Like on Mm. my, you know, gives me more time because to be fair, I mean, you know, when I say the panic and the desperation, like it, it's a, a comfortable 
desperation and panic. One that I like, I enjoy that place mm-hmm. uh, in a, a weird way. And I don't Little masochistic side yeah, of you probably. Maybe. Well, I mean, some of these projects, I feel like I take them on and I mean, I look back at some of the projects and I'm like, how, how did I get that done? Like hmm. I, who even told me that was okay to do? Hmm. Uh, and yeah. So, I mean, I guess, um, there is an element of like, uh, demented ambition. <laughs> are you talented or are you getting more talented at leaving the process in the studio? Um, meaning the rest of your life can, when you're in this frenetic zone, you can divorce yourself from it and move into a space with others or just by yourself where you can, you know, leave, leave the work at work. Uh, you mean the panic at work or the work at work? Because I product test all the time, constantly. It's all, you know, I'm talking about my pieces. I'm talking about like some crazy idea or like, Hmm. you know, dripping a dripping a painting dripping in the gallery like sounds actually kind of like a good piece i don't really mind that. but um yeah so. no you're right the 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 heightened emotional state will keep it there like is that something that bleeds over is it still with you when the you go to that, bed uh well when i'm in the thick of sort of one of these ultra massive pieces that i love um mm-hmm. i there's just not the, the struggle for me is to like set that up in my life so that (laughs) for the most part things are done (laughs) before i go into that like month month and a half long creation process but like i build i see um so you kind of because i will safety net around yourself or or like a period of time where you um you don't need to self-restrict you can kind of just be in whatever space you need yeah, for, you know, within reason. I, yeah. It's also, it's very weird to me because uh, I look back at like some of these pieces and, oh, sorry, uh, some of these pieces and I'm like, I've been obsessed with dating everything t- and time stamping everything for ages. Hmm. Uh, and I don't even believe it when I uh, look back and I'm like, wait, that opened on the Thursday and then I went to my cousin's wedding on the Saturday, that was the same week. Mm. How, how did that work? Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm pretty successful just personally at wherever I am, there I am, um, sort of leaving things in the studio or I'd say it's probably more of an out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Like, but but if I'm jazzed about an idea, then I am talking, telling everyone about it. Mm. And even people, I mean, in fact, maybe I kind of like people that don't want to hear it as much because it challenge, it's a challenge to sort of like find the inroad that they connect to it with. Mm. Um, Is that, um, there's a bunch of things I want to dig into there. Uh, <laughs> communicating your work to your audience is I'm sure as important, if not more important than no, I, I guess I don't know why I'm why I'm comparing the two, but your work at least everything that I know about it or I've seen about it is it is about interaction. It is this kind of uh, you're bringing people into a space or or you're requiring a little bit of um, involvement. so, is if we can just jump into it is communicating a real key uh aspect of your work in the fact that even you want to tell i like the idea and why i want to jump into it now is that you like looking for inroads so i think a lot of artists can uh especially if their ego is not in check they you can find them at any time uh talking about abstract art to someone who doesn't give a shit for long long periods of time but I also like looking for inroads to people that maybe uh, are not also studio people that are all, you know, these. Uh, I like looking right. for inroads. I really like communicating and I try to build that through the paintings themselves and a bit, 
I guess I think about this less now about communicating it with words, but um, either with words or either with your work uh, or your work, communicating with an audience, is this essential to what you're trying to do here? Or does it go piece by piece? Maybe that's that's um, more likely. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like... It's. I mean, I feel like I have two branches, main branches of work, and mm-hmm. one are there. It's really simple distinction where one is a completely enclosed environment. Everything in the room is mine. So anywhere you look, it's part of the piece, or it's you know part of the installation. And then the other is by the nature of you know it's like you can't do the whole fair. So it's one thing in the, in, in a larger environment that peels back the corner of the page a little bit. Mm. And, uh, so I guess in the installation, uh, version, I feel it's done, you know, I've done it correctly. If it appears effortless, I mean, it appears like I wasn't even there. Um, And, you know, that we just found this house in, in a warehouse. <laughs> and, um, or, you know, there's a behind these two roll gates, there's a miniature bar and it's always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, and, and not even just beyond the idea of the spectacle of, of that, that you, which I think is one of the things that I fell in love with about installation work is that, uh, I mean, it's you know, kind of more, relational aesthetics at that point because you're like you know how to act in this place and there's an element to a piece that is done i think if it's done correctly uh you forget it's there and you're just acting differently and the piece doesn't hit until you walk out back out of this again and you realize the person you were has changed Mm. and then it's actually i mean even i find it difficult to sort of uh, encounter the same place again uh, without having my eyes open to that experience or like the person that I'm changing into. Is it fair to say then that you consider yourself pretty divorced from the, uh, when I asked about communication, uh, I was thinking about how the artist has a, uh, a presence in the work itself you know again right. behind it in front of it but yep. it, how you described it just now and i guess now that i'm looking back at you know a lot of my favorite fluxist or performance art pieces or uh, installations right it is experiential and the artist behind it is is the um you know the invisible ringleader behind it all but it's not so much it's certainly not artist forward so i wonder if that's if in a way you, uh, yeah, you're not trying to communicate in maybe the same way that us painters talk about communication, you're just trying to. Well, I mean, I I guess in as it relates to that, I mm-hmm. feel like the artist forward, um, just idea in my mind gets mm-hmm. in the way of my experiencing the work first. Yeah, um, and I like to hit people. I mean, if I can before they've taken that deep breath to like steal themselves for a gallery opening. Yeah. And uh, they, because if I'm really, if I'm to be believed and it's about the person that the, the changes that occur within you, mm-hmm. it's difficult to recognize those if you're, uh, if there's an artist in the way of that. And so I feel like, that's where the scale and the uh, detail um, and the other actors, except they're just members of the audience, other members of the audience, and no one sells a piece like an actor that doesn't know they're acting. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that that really, I, I think that really uh, allows people to see the changes that they make. And then I, for in, from what I sort of have approximated it, it, the art or the artist forward part comes after 
Um, sometimes even like in a wait, that was that was the piece uh, kind of way. So does yeah. it throw you then? Uh, does it throw you then if your audience ever has to sign something to get in? Like, have you? Uh, I think there was something about that in one mm-hmm. of your pieces, like a a worry about this or that city regulation, and I don't know what became yeah. of it, but uh, just let's say in the future you had a big piece, you had an audience that was uh, to enter, they had to sign some sort of, this is a thing and you're going to be here and here. Does that change it for oh, you? Because it, then they are conscious of what they're in, in a way. Beguiles me to yeah. no end. Well, that's, uh, I was kind of wondering. Yeah. I, would, I mean, so uh, the idea of like f- uh, filming, in at an opening um i when i see someone filming i feel i don't know cheaply safe i mean it kind of feels like a like you know then it's a production then it's all sort of for the camera and i mean i'm talking about like filming like professional videographers clig lights the whole nine um so if that has to happen because I understand the realities of marketing or whatever, then it's got to be a photo call. It can't be the actual um, opening or experience. But if the opening is going to be filmed, I mean, you know, everyone, everyone films themselves now. Um, it's true. And, that's true. Uh, but in your head, it's, it's probably lingers there. The, the difference. I was like very adamant that there would be no uh, filming. And I, um, even like cover charge, I sort of feel like there could have been a cover charge, but like sometimes I go over, bend over backwards, not to, um, because I don't want, I don't want to like have something you sign. That's like, um, I will be experiencing a work of installation and, you know, a, a waiver even seems like too much. However, if I can fold it in, then cool. <laughs> and there's a lot of waivers out there. Um, like, that new piece that I was telling you about the strip club. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of potential problems there. I think I actually don't think there are, but just the phrase, the red herring that uh, is the the title. Yeah. Um, seems like you might need to check people's ID, but you know what they do at strip clubs is check your ID. So sure. I don't see that doesn't feel like a problem. Maybe. Do you do you have much of an a uh, um, an opinion on whether or not these connections with an audience or these experiences that you um, create for your audience that they be positive or negative? Do you when you look back at I haven't asked you about this, but maybe the artists in your uh, category, uh, you know, of history that you like are that there are of course aggressive ones that uh their whole thing is sort of creating a space that makes people uncomfortable right. versus the ones that create something where uh it it uh benefits uh curiosity and and risk taking you know that sort of thing do you do you fall on one or other side of that line does it make much difference to you or i mean okay so this is where i i sort of feel like um the Uh, if I've, hmm. all right. So I guess that asks a deeper question about whether, you know, what is nostalgia exactly? Is it, you know, pleasurable or painful and Mm. sort of some of the places that hold the best memories for you also hold the worst memories. And so a lot of my work comes from memory Mm. and I definitely just to go harken back a little bit uh, to the college thing. I started thinking that I needed to make narratives and like that these rooms, I was sort of embarrassed to like about this idea, like, Oh, people are going to say like, what does it say? And uh, I, I felt like they all needed to have a narrative and, the first um 
I mean, a, a, you know, a large part of my work, they did have narratives. Um, and I kept finding myself paring it down and down. Mm. And the, the bar piece, um, which was somebody offering me a show and I'm like, oh, there's nowhere in here that I could do anything except what's that closet over there. And like, look in this sort of larger closet, uh, in a New York gallery in Bushwick. And I was like, God, it'd be really cool to do a bar in here. Like, a, like, and, 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 and really this came from, you know, I think I denied the show initially, uh, and then saw, and saw the closet and I was like, whatever, fine. I'll think about it. And like went on, this is some kind of a weekend, uh, bender-ish thing. Nah, I mean, it was, you know, whatever. Um, and found myself in a bar and had been in New York for uh, a couple of years at that point mm-hmm. and was like kind of just sitting there drinking and, and feeling like, what am I doing? It's like, I'm, I denied that show and I'm just sitting here drinking myself to death in like a coffin sized bar of my own making. And then like, okay, make that. Mm-hmm. And so made that and had this idea. I mean, that was a very seminal piece for me because I was going to have a bartender. Um, and it was two doors. You walk in one door. It's, it's like a telephone. The, the whole bar is the size of two telephone booths. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you walk in one door and you're the drinker. And you walk in the other door and you're the bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're, that's the side of the bar that you're on. And so I... Uh, uh, was going to have a bartender in there. And so you walked in the drinking side of the bar and you, he would serve you a drink and it's this tiny coffin sized bar and you look at yourself in the mirror behind him and it's kind of depressing and whatever. And then as it got closer and closer, I couldn't like find the right bartender and somebody, I had one and they flaked on me and, and I was just like in that butter zone where, like I said, like desperate decisions and I was make them be their own bartender. Hmm. fuck it yeah and that decision i mean at that point it was like you know this dead all-out uh rush to get it done it it barely made it but it did make it um and uh i walked in on the opening night and there were like 10 people in here it's like five people squeezed on one side five people squeezed on the other really yeah and the bartender or the guy at the tap, there's only one tap and it's Bud, mm-hmm. and uh, there's kegerator, so it's like just flows forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy at the bar behind the bar is, is, looks at me and he's like, you got to co- tell me a secret before you can come in here. And I was like, there's something happening here. Huh. And while I'm thinking, he's like, get out, get the fuck out. <laughs> um, and so it was, I mean, it was a. So it's know, like you created something that was self-sustaining and. uh uh, a metamatic in a way, like a kind of it made itself. But mm-hmm. I set the, this is like a weird function in a way, like set the scene and then people bring all their own baggage to it. Mm-hmm. And there have been, I mean, I'm sure for some people it's a depressing place and I'm sure for others it's a, uh, a place where you can be in charge. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. There definitely was a breakdown with like prisoners and guards, you know, bartenders and drinkers. Sure. Um, what about uh, control? I mean, it seems like uh, there's such often these projects are so big and you have to be meticulous and you have to, you know, so much work behind them that I, I assume you are. I was going to say control freak, but, you know, <laughs> uh, in the good sense of the word. Yeah. But then do you it seems like you can allow these things to then take on a life and be just, just exist. Yeah. Or do you feel a little conflict there where you a little bit want to say, no, I mean, no, I know it's this, you know? Absolutely. Mm. Um, and I mean, this is also a function of New York, uh, like that New York, you never get yes on the, I mean, if you're getting yes on the first response in New York, there's something wrong. Like that <laughs> you're getting scammed. Um, you know, it's like, Every single ask, every, you know, uh, show, every, everything is nope, nope. Can I do that? No. Can I, well, what if I, no. Can I do that? No. And then, you know, by the 16th time, like, maybe. Okay. Yeah, you know, you, the tenacity kind of plays out. And so I think that uh, 
I there's hang on tightly, let go lightly, like quality to it where you, you stick to those goals as hard as you possibly can. And but do not let that drag you down. If that is acting like a sea anchor at some point, like cut that thing loose. That's the key, though. You have to know. I mean, that's the art form, right? Is knowing when to let it go. Yeah. And I think that with stubborn artists and with pushover artists, you know, there's this like spectrum of it where, you know, that's the really, and I think that's, again, part of the reason for this podcast is I think that the only way to learn that stuff is by aging as an artist, unless you're just, you know, you've got a, you've got a a perfect ear from the very beginning to know to know when to let it go and to right. know when to, when to push and when not to push. I like this idea of like a history of no's where you just, uh, oh, yeah. you just let them fall in. Cause of course those can be discouraging and then, um, they can lead, uh, I think less confident artists to give up early. And, right. um, but, um, I mean, I think that, uh, it's amazing how focusing a deadline and, your own self-worth are like self-worth, you know, as like, I, it's, you know, the cliche of like, I don't do it because I want, uh, uh, want to, you do it because you have to, but like mm. at some point there are people coming to see this and you know, that, that the ego question of like, why do I think I'm important enough to do this? Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and then you can want to do all this crazy stuff, but if it's not going to get done, then but got to triage. I think now we can finally circle back a bit to what about uh, what about Andrew before deadlines? Like what about school? Oh, toughest thing and, ever. Yeah, right. Because I'm assuming maybe still self confident. School uh, was okay, uh, but you know that's like the great sort of uh, melting. Once you're kinda. well, I mean you have people that are going to come see your, I mean, that same experience, like your class is going to come see it. And, you know, your professor is going to be there and really the worst possible, like the, the darkest moment for me was moving to New York and being like, Oh no, no one's, no one's going to come. Yeah. Like we, where do you go? Like that was by far the the hardest step ever for me uh, was sort of zero to 0.25. Like the, that very first sort of like, a gallery, uh, some kind of like where wherever it was, it was. Uh, but yeah. uh, was there any time between graduation that you were still uh, like before moving to New York? Was there any uh, time in between, or, or was it pretty close to you graduated, you got out, and then you were in New York, totally, you know, um, flat foot, kind of uh, fresh off the boat, kind of. Uh, pretty much okay. Uh, I I got. I took all of my classes with one professor. There was a weird quirk in Berkeley where you could, they like would, it, the art school was sort of uh, free form. And, um, mm. you know, uh, I t- ended up, the, there was a professor who came from New York and I took all of my classes with her and somehow they counted for all the credits. And then she gave me a job in New York or said like, I was like, what are, what do I do? what should I do now? And she was like, well, you should move to New York and be my assistant. And I was like, okay. Hmm. And, uh, so you had something off. You didn't just move to New York, uh, with, you had something, you had a, something you were an artist yeah. assistant kind yeah. of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm strangely like, I, I actually love being an assistant at times. It's like, uh, it's a really good mental exercise for me because it's, none of the desperation, none of the panic mm-hmm. and a lot of the like uh, calmly explaining like what the person is trying to tell themselves, but just can't understand. I don't know if that makes sense, but sure. Dude. Not can't understand, but can't sort of, they can't see the message, but if I've worked with uh, a few artists extensively as an assistant and, uh, yeah, I mean, after a while, it's sort of you take on, I mean, I really enjoy not having that conceptual burden <laughs> at mm-hmm. some point. And uh, yeah. Would you categorize? Uh, you probably wouldn't want to. I would just say there's a lot of artists that have also, 
um, you know, we all know the benefits of working with. Uh, oh, there were a lot more. of terrible experiences, as and well. that's yeah. that's my point. Yeah. Is uh, I always wanted to do it, but I was. Uh, I was definitely put off by the idea, you know, after working at a couple of museums, too, when I got to see kind of how the right. sausage is made. And I was like, fuck this. I'll be a bartender. No problem. Yep. And it kind of spooked me, the idea of being under the foot of uh, or the boot of, uh, you know, I mean, even worse, someone that I, like, really respected and then found, unfortunately, to be. Uh, because that's the whole yeah. idea is that you don't have. When, based on the structure of learning and education for artists, that is not the the mentorship idea, the assistantship idea. I feel like there's a lot of, in the same way that artists can go into critiques with younger artists and say the exact wrong thing, and not meaning PC or something, but just, you know, just project their own shit and that artist isn't confident enough to spiral that artist for, you know what I'm talking right. about? Like irresponsible artists who aren't like quite equipped to understand the, the need that younger artists have. And, you know, and even just, you know, not knowing that you can just fess up and say, you know, I can't really tell you much right now. That was actually one of my favorite all time, uh, critiques was from a old sculptor i think in his 70s who i i liked i thought he was a great guy he came in and we sat and we chatted for a bit and he said you know i honestly have no idea what you're doing in here <laughs> like i have nothing to and i was like i appreciate that that's chill like, i understand is- i mean i kind of like people who don't like the work more than uh not people who do like the work <laughs> impeccable taste yeah. some people <laughs> but uh people who are like oh cool you know, the, the kind sure. of like blow off, like, oh, cool. If somebody says like, I don't get it. Why, why is it art? Like my, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, tales from the crypt, like, <laughs> um, because I love that question and I love that conversation and proving that, you know, turning them around. It's kind of fun. But the worst one but, is yeah. here's what you should do when it is not someone who is fully yes. integrated to, and you can't ask that of other artists, but anyway, to bring it back to the idea of an artist assistantship, there's just so much to learn for young artists. And I think desperation is not just in play in studio practice. Desperation is at play throughout their life. And then I worry that, um, or for myself, I worried that I, I didn't want to put myself in that situation. Yeah. But you're saying that you worked for a few different artists and good or bad, you found those experiences to be kind of, um, enriching like they showed you a way of making work where you weren't emotionally involved yeah. in the way the burden i mean the burden wasn't there so it was so you were getting some, something some of them have been, have been definitely emotionally traumatizing but uh i most of them i have found a way to take something from it and and one in particular i mean uh, john kessler uh i worked for him for I mean, I still work for him, um, you know, I mean, or, and we're friends. It's, you know, he was the uh, dean of the uh, of the art school at Columbia. And I sort of was right, just about ready to give up and leave New York. And uh, I got a, a job working for him. Um, and he is a master of, I mean, he's a teacher. And so, yeah. and he's also been around for a long time and uh, experienced both sides of, uh, the art cycle and um, he uh, as opposed to some other artists who I I feel like either feel the need or feel it's beneficial to break down their assistance um, and recreate them in their image like, like boot camp or something yeah. um, I feel like John has a much more I mean Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. But I loved it uh, where it was like uh, sort of feel a contribution and feel that like, you know, that is your and it was very activating for me. And uh, I think that it taught me. I mean, it was just a great sort of experience to be able to go in. And he also, you know, I mean, this is like a dream scenario because he, he always I always felt uh, respected and compensated and never um, 
you know, I, there are horror stories out there that I feel like sounds like it'd be difficult to take something from, but uh, th this was a great and very rewarding job for me and kind of taught me uh, also how to treat people that work for me or that, you know, Absolutely. that I end up working with. So you um, think at the end of the day, oh, knowing, sorry, no, 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 no. I was, okay. I, I just, I've meant to bring this up earlier, but I, you can go ahead if I, uh, well, well, yeah. So that experience though mm -hmm. was very interesting because that was like right when I was about to give up and I, I had, kind of um uh i had made sort of the same pieces that i was making in in college in berkeley mm -hmm. and uh to some success um and i was at a sort of inflection point there there was a terrible experience with greater new york um but uh uh i was you know, one of the things that I had sort of moved to New York being like, oh, I'll get a job where with, and this is almost, this is almost embarrassing, but you know, whatever, push where it hurts. Um, I'll get a job with John, uh, with, with this guy, this, uh, famous artist. And, uh, I will, uh, you know, when, when I'm installing the work at his gallery, like, <laughs> just like, why not bring my portfolio? Right. And like show the, the gallery, the, uh, you know, my work. And then obviously because they like that, you know, whatever I have, what it takes. And then, then they'll, they'll show me too. And, you know, I think it, this is not a unique experience that you learn real fast. Like, what are you doing? That, that don't talk to them. Get back to work or don't eat the food either. Um, but, uh, I, so again, I find myself in that position where like the bar, I'm like, wait, build that. And it struck me as like, you know, this one place in the world, you're sort of stocking the shelves and it's a beautiful party. I mean, it's an amazing, you know, the art opening in 2006 was a fantastic experience. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the money is flowing and there's like the art celebrities, whatever, but the pieces are, are, are still crazy. Um, mm. in a way that maybe they're not now more on that later but uh mm -hmm. uh so i was like oh my god it's uh it was a it was a piece called uh uh or is the the fridge and um you walked into the gallery through the back of a walk-in uh fridge cooler mm -hmm. and uh so that it's one of those things in a bodega where you you open the door and you get a drink and it's cold inside there but there actually is a space behind it um that you know a lot of people know about but i i just in case um but that I've been in bodegas and like sometimes there's a stock guy behind there and you can lock eyes hmm. sort of through the drinks. And then this was the experience. You walk into the gallery through the fridge. It's cold. That thing is humming above you. This was a fridge I ripped out of a fish market in Rhode Island and had to wash out. Um, and we got all the drink coolers and everything. And it looked exactly like a, the back of a walk-in. And then... You walk out the other side. It's a double. It has two doors on it. You walk out the other side and into the opening. And the drinks for the opening are served out of the walk-in, the front public-facing side, interior of the gallery, mm -hmm. walk-in fridge. And so you are go through this whole thing of because that's how I felt, stocking the, the drinks and like getting a taste of the party and looking out through the fridge and then just just the, the door closes again and it's freezing cold and whatever. And so you, as the audience member, then grab your drink doing the same thing to the next person who's walking through. And sorry, just yeah. to clarify, was it John's work on the other side? Meaning no, no. Was, uh, oh, okay, this, this is, just is my, separate. This is this, separate. Th uh, my experience of uh, sort of working for John and, and going to places like uh, uh, Berlin and, and installing a show for now him. Now I understand. Basically stocking the shelves exactly. of the walk-in inspired the idea yeah, that then exactly. led to the first thing. right yeah that's very interesting yeah it was it was a really fun piece <laughs> let me um i just uh i want to take a break in yeah. just a moment but i want to just sum this this part up with um the question for you which is knowing all you know uh about working with uh artists is this something, if you were going to give advice to someone in their 20s who was in a similar situation as you, do you think the pros outweigh the cons if they move to a place like L.A. or New York or anywhere, really, and wonder about that as a as a experience, as something um, that could benefit them? 
I mean, I feel like the one thing that I can say on this subject is there is no, at least I, maybe there is now, I'm not sure. Um, there is no path That's uh, true. that is universal. Of like, course. It's, it's all, everyone's path is completely unique and different. And, um, but yeah, I thought that was a great way. I've also seen people um, open a gallery. Like mm. even in their closet, literally, and mm. uh, uh, it, there's nothing. Or I mean, no offense, start a podcast. Like mm. you know, it gets you out there, gets you meeting people. Like True. gets you because yeah. that's the biggest thing. Is like, you know, I mean, it's not. Uh, I, I feel like there there is sort of a modicum of talent that you know, I guess you have to have. But mm. like the real defining factor is you you have to be out there, pe- meet people, and be sort of in the community mm. um and that community also shapes the talent it, you know and and there's a dialogue and mm. um so yes i i would suggest that but the difference is being uh besides the other options that you mentioned and the many many more options of course open to artists is is that i do feel that it's a little bit working with an older artist um you are in that same space where um what about if it's just something that you you should know what you could get out of it? Going into it with the idea that you're going to leave your portfolio somewhere and everything's going to happen for you. Am I right in <laughs> saying that that's really that not, not how the world absolutely works? Absolutely not going to happen, yeah. But if you go into it with the idea, well, I'm going to spend a year doing this and just try and soak up as much, you know, if they're a painter and you're a painter, I'm just going to write down all their mixture, you know, like, yeah, like want to, I mean, have, I guess yeah. I feel like there have been, uh, there are a lot of scenarios that I know where people, uh, worked for an artist and their work either. I mean, who's to say whether their work started looking like that artist's work or the artist's work started looking like their work. And then they kind of come out of there and they're, they're, in the style of, and that seems like a nightmare. You could say the same for grad school. Often yeah, there's a lot absolutely. of grad schools where oh, you I, come out looking like something. There's I mean, so many grad schools that I, uh, studio visits where I'm like, oh, what's that? Like, what's that over in the corner? You know, it's a studio full of work presented really nice. And I'm like, what's that in the corner? That's my work before grad school. Don't look at that. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I feel like um, on the assisting, um, I feel uh, like you, you just, I mean, be aware of your own health and whatever like a disclaimer. Um, mm-hmm. but put yourself in the places where you want to be. And so, you know, and we see what works. Like, you know, you go to every opening of the gallery that you want to show with or that you like their work and then, you know, eventually, I feel strongly that things do happen uh, eventually, um, you know, where and meet. I mean, artists are not that flattery will get you everywhere. I And and like uh, you talk to and the artists that you like and then maybe that will be your path or 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 maybe it will just be sort of uh, waiting uh, service industry and working on the side and you open a gallery or start a podcast or, or something that just mm. gets you in the community. And then, and I think that, you know, the control thing, um, yeah, you just be open to the idea that, uh, your plans will change or yeah, I think if they're not changing, then you're in trouble. <laughs> That's good advice. I agree. All right. uh, We're going to take a pee break and uh, be back. Well, we ended up taking that last bit of advice from Andrew a bit seriously. Our plans changed. What started as a short break uh, before getting back to it uh, turned into a long one. We were joined by a few of Andrew's artist friends, um, and we ended up having a long series of conversations outside before finally returning back to the studio. And while what I should have done is retrieved the microphones from the studio and recorded all of what happened outside, I did not. And by the time Andrew and I got back in to record part two, uh, most of our conversation uh, built off of those in-between conversations, though we tried not to. There's still a lot of good in it. But I think I'm going to release the second part a bit later down the line once I've had more of a chance to edit. 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode nonetheless. Um, there was a lot that I gained from it personally, just seeing how disparate me and Andrew's work is and yet all the parallels that still existed between us. Um, you can find more of Andrew's work and mine in the episode description. If you have any questions for me, please write to artmatterspodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. We are still smack dab in the middle of Art Matters LA edition. So in the next couple of weeks, keep an eye out. The next episode will feature yet another Los Angeles-based artist. I hope you guys are enjoying. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time.